Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and good morning, America. I'm Janet West, and I'd like to welcome you to the final day of those from, from IBC 2014. We've had an exciting time. We've looked at 4K. We've looked at post-production and broadcasting. And today, we're going to be looking at this show is being brought to you from the Teradex stand. And you can access the show um, by going into HTTP colon forward slash forward slash magazine dot broadcast beat dot com or you you can go into tunein dot com and just search for broadcast beat um, by going into HTTP colon forward slash forward slash magazine dot broadcast beat dot com or you you can go into tunein.com and just search for Broadcast Beat and you can hear the radio version. Um, don't forget to get a copy of the new digital magazine because it's full of all the latest products here at IBC and some interesting interviews. Covered some interesting topics and today is the final one. But these shows will be available very shortly uh, on uh, YouTube. I got an impressive lineup of is, and so without further ado, I'd like to introduce them to you. First and foremost, to my right is Tony Taylor, CEO and Chairman of Transmedia Dynamics Limited. Now, Tony is the founder and has over 30 years. He's negotiated and delivered long-term service and high-value contracts to many of the world's best-known organization. He's a hands-on leader. He remains closely involved in scoping and delivering comprehensive asset management technology to various enterprises, such as Discovery, the National Film and Sound Archives of Australia. Tony is a well-known and respected speaker at many of the major broadcasting conferences, and his papers have included the importance of integrating media asset management and workflow processes. Next to Tony is Dave Headley. Now, Dave is marketing lead for MAM, but we're going to get on to that later. He doesn't like the word MAM. Um, so MAM and Archive for Sony Professional Europe. He's been in the business over 30 years. We've got quite a few years amongst us here, guys. And um, he's worked in research and development in the early DVTR, high definition and software systems, been involved in systems integration and solutions delivery. Now, Dave is responsible for a diverse product set, ranging from optical disk technology to an enterprise class integration and workflow platform. He joined Sony back in 1981, and he's built up a considerable expertise in AV and software systems, and he's worked in various senior management roles. Dave also has spoken a lot and given papers on high definition, systems integration, and television video effects at SMPTE, the Royal Television Society, IEEE, and NAB. He holds 18 patents in digital video effects and digital signal processing. Next to Dave, we have George Olver, founder of Movidium. Have I said it correctly? Movidium, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a groundbreaking new network that allows brands, agencies, and filmmakers across the globe to connect, collaborate, and create incredible films. Users build a profile for free to connect with the brands, agencies, and filmmakers. 
So working collaboratively, they manage projects seamlessly and get paid securely. The result, we've got some inspiring films and the opportunity to contribute to the Movidium global community of filmmakers. Now, George is a passionate filmmaker and producer and has won several international filmmaking awards, including the Sir Edmund Hillary Award. As a director of Pendragon Productions, which he founded in 2006, he's produced film campaigns across the globe for brands such as Google, Virgin, Samsung, and Coca-Cola. He was the producer of the first independently produced documentary to be screened at the Odeon Leicester Square Cinema, Tenacity on the Tasman, a human-powered attempt to circumnavigate the world in a rowing boat. George is passionate about technology, as I think we all are, and its potential to change our modus operandi. A connected society of, is one of his go-to taglines, and he believes that through connecting and collaborating, the route to, to opportunity exists, and work becomes easier and more streamlined. And then finally, I'd like to introduce you to Jeff Herzog, who is product manager at EditShare. And first of all, I've got to say congratulations, as EditShare actually got a Broadcast Beat Award. It did, indeed. Okay, and for the rest of the awards, do check out the magazine, broadcastbeat.com, to see who were the other winners. Now, Jeff told me earlier that he started working in an aquarium and has been an underwater cameraman. And he's been working in video, IT, and software development for over 14 years. He currently manages EditShare's backup, archive, and asset management products that form the core of EditShare's integrated end-to-end -end workflow. He first worked with EditShare as a customer while serving as a post-production supervisor on a History Channel series where he learned the value of shared storage. Earlier in his career, where he was learning HD post-production, he was at, as I said, New England Aquarium, where he was doing underwater shooting. Thank you, panel, and I'm delighted to have you here. Now, I'm hoping I'm going to learn something about media asset management in this session, but I'm going to start with you, Tony. If you check Broadcast Beach, you'll see an interesting article from uh, Tony, where he said, the issues in media asset management have more to do with change and people management when implementing a solution. Can you explain that? Yeah, I think, I think as we look around the show here uh, at IBC and that, it, it's, it's all about the technology. Well, a lot of the technology now is, is uh, mature and is available out there. And I think when it comes to uh, implementing things like media asset management, business process management. It's engaging with the people that are going to use it. It's, it's more about what those people are going to do than it is about the technology that's used. Because implementing any solution, uh, any IT-based solution, any broadcast-based solution, is, is no good unless you bring the people along with it. There's a reason for implementing it, and that's a business solution not necessarily a technology reason. I have a, a, a view on the world which says pre the year 2000, the broadcast business was technology led, mm -hmm. and I now believe that the broadcast business is technology enabled. We see it out there in the marketplace. So it's more about the people uh, using the systems than it is about the technology itself. Okay, do you all agree on that? 
or any comments? I, mean, I, think, I, th I think absolutely. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's, a, it's a key point, and I think looking at what Movidium's ambition is, 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 is to collaborate and connect around the people. So it's the, the individuals and, and, and their in individual you know, skill sets which, which we're looking at, and, and you know, 4K. then you will never solve the problem. If you're just using the term media asset management, you'll get 10 different opinions from Absolutely. five different people. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, we, I saw it yesterday on the stand. We were having a conversation with somebody, and, and they were turning around and using the terms media asset management, content management, digital asset management. And the first question I had is, what context in the business are you yeah. using that term for? Mm -hmm. And it's about the business process. It's not about the technology. Is media, excuse my ignorance guys, but is media asset management the same as digital asset management? And are we really talking about fundamentally a library in the digital world? Um, we're talking about business processes around the management of assets, whether they be media assets, digital assets, for instance, the archive organizations that we want discovery. They still have significant volumes of physical assets. Mm -hmm. Media tape, videotape, film, and they want to digitize it into a, 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 the digital form for, for preservation. So what do you call library management, archive management, media asset management? The term is, the terms are so confusing, yeah. and they're confusing yeah. to the vendors. So if they're confusing to us, the customers are, are getting even more confused. Well, to be honest, we back to NAB three, three, four, five years ago. Everybody was a MAM vendor. Exactly. Everybody had a MAM system. And yeah. frankly, if you look at it, the most successful MAM systems were the ones that didn't call themselves MAM. They were news production. They fixed the problem, and that was it. And they understood yeah. what the customer's problem really was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, th I think the key, the key from my perspective, which is a little, perhaps a little less industry than you two gents, is, is access. You know, it's about access to, to, to the assets. Yeah. So, you know, and that's something that EditShare very much comes into the conversation as well. In, inside the studio environment, how quickly can you get access? You know, if you've got a timeline or you know, pressure or the management of the assets, yeah. It's about withdrawing into an, into an edit, into broadcast, out to TX. So however that works, it's, it's really, I think access is the key word with, with digital asset management. And I think, you know, again, just looking from my experience, it's inside our project management tool with Movidium, it's quick access to call sheet information, you know, tape, tape information, Dropbox storage. Yeah. And the details matter too, I think. I mean, you know, these uh, people who are using our tools are and uh, intuitive tools, you know, when we... Yeah, again, just looking from my experience, it's inside our project management tool with Movidium, it's quick access to call sheet information, you know, tape, tape information, Dropbox storage. Yeah. And the details matter too, I think. I mean, you know, these uh, people who are using our tools are living with them day in and day mm -hmm. out.
and uh, intuitive tools. You know, when we go to do an on-site commissioning, we might spend a week at a customer site. Only a day of it is actually set up and configuration. The other four days, you hope, are, are spent with the customer and really learning what their workflow is because yeah. the tools can do 20 different things or you can do the same thing many different ways, but uh, you really need to get down to you know, what is the, the business case for that particular customer and uh, you know, what's going to be the, the right way to get it done and uh, then you know, lead them down the right path. As you go around the show at IBC, I think the things for me that stand out is either 4K cloud or media asset <laughs> management. So with all the different companies and vendors talking about media asset management, what, have, what are your main challenges? What are, what are you facing with the current assets that your cli you know, clients are dealing with? I think formats is one huge challenge. Uh, mm -hmm. I heard the term uh, Kodak hamster wheel lately, which I kind of like. I think it really says it aptly. And, you know, all of us on the vendor side and on the customer side are trying to keep up with it, yeah. understand it, um, and, and, you know, make the right decisions in a constantly changing market. I think that's a huge challenge. Mm -hmm. I, I, I would agree. I think formats and, and wrappers and all those other things. But I do think some of those challenges are starting to be addressed. You've got the DPP um, uh, functionality in the UK now with all the broadcasters taking DPP files. So whereas previously they would have a technical spec for a tape that got delivered, um, and if it wasn't delivered in that format it would get sent back, with files that has not been the case. So mm -hmm. it's been a, a, an evolving market, but now with things like DPP, I think the challenge has been in one way resolved, because it's a standard format and a standard metadata schema across the content that's coming in. Mm -hmm. So I think we are starting to, to get through those challenges and starting to make it easier for our mm -hmm. customers to work within the industry. But DPP is UK-centric. Is that not going to cause a problem with material coming in from the States or from Asia? Well, uh, I've heard Hollywood doesn't yet fully understand DPP. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of European, other European uh, countries are looking at DPP just yep. to watch for the success of it and, and actually look at the problems that they have yep. and then when they implement don't have the same problem. So I think that a lot of countries will be looking to take the learnings from that. But I, th I also think that if you look at what DPP is based on, it's based on the uh, AMWA AS11 specification, yeah. which is a global specification. Mm -hmm. It just happens to be a different metadata uh, spec within there. And we've already seen it. Some of our clients in the US are actually starting to look at the DPP and see how it's going. You know, let's face it, it, it only goes live in, in a couple of weeks. Um, so they'll October probably let 1st, it. October 1st, I think, October isn't it? October 1st yep. is when it's supposed to be going live, yeah. So I think we'll see those sort of things get rolled out globally. Mm -hmm. I think oh, the, one of the other big issues that we have in the industry is actually the diverse range of products that you actually have to integrate into a workflow. Because for me, media asset management, because it fixes a problem, the customer benefit is when they actually are reducing cost or actually doing something faster. And because we've so, got so many different products and customers buy completely different product sets and then integrate them into a workflow, uh, a lot of media asset management systems become integration platforms and then have to build workflow engines on top of those. So actually for us, I think it's, it's viewing it as more of an integration issue, yeah. looking at the workflow and the business processes and the benefits that customers are going to get from integrating those and actually allowing them to make a good cost-benefits analysis, 
let's leave that one not integrated at the moment because it's going to be more expensive than doing this and we'll get the benefit there. So a lot of customers are looking at um, real cost benefit analysis on individual parts of the workflow to see where they are going to make their money or actually make it easier for their, their operators. Yeah. And I think that actually brings another challenge really is, is how do you get those metrics? Yeah. Uh, and that's where we're seeing a lot of our clients now turning around and saying we need to make sure that all of these workflows, uh, all of these systems give us the metrics back yeah. on how long you know, an ingest took or how long a file transfer took. Not only for getting the cost benefit, but also for scaling up their facility. Yeah. If we look at the issue of, of uh, online content, on-demand content, the explosion in that has meant that significant more transcoding power is required to get the same content out to the different platforms. So understanding the metrics, as you say, people need to understand what those metrics are um, to be able to make the decisions. For the last sort of um, couple of years, we've been talking content anywhere, anyhow, on anything. We've got an enormous amount of content. Are we starting to create content faster than we can manage it? Or is getting an efficient asset management system the solution? I think, I think just, just, just dipping in there quickly, I think looking at where that content's coming from, and, and I think what we were discussing there is, is you know, big industry, broadcast, TX, but there's a lot of you know prosumer professional single one man shooters out there yeah. you know the youtube generation perhaps and 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 their workflows are, are very different and i think that's where there's a massive explosion going on right now oh. and, and 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 especially you know with the democratization in terms of the equipment the, the, the you know quality going up cost going down you know there's all these suppliers around here um, you know suddenly you're creating a generation of entrepreneurial filmmakers and, and, and that, that, that has very, very different challenges. Perhaps, again, you, you probably see that in the edit share world with, with the workflow being very different to the traditional broadcast or, or the studio environment. Absolutely, and we have to develop, you know, we develop workflows that are vastly different for different types of customers. It's interesting at a show, you know, uh, customers coming up to me, I could be talking, you know, broadcast and VDCP workflows, uh, you know, one hour and, a you know small editing shared storage system mm. you know the next uh, there's such a wide range uh, I, I never you know never having uh, you know the same conversation twice there are themes throughout mm. but the details are so different yeah. every time and I think flexibility in a system is key to being able to you know cater to those various demands also compression as well you know as we see advancements in compression and 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 how we can build algorithms which really uh, do uh, you know, reduce file sizes you know that's got to be a positive in terms of workflow bandwidth basically so uh, you know although it's not my area of absolute expertise yeah you know it's interesting where EditShare was all about centralization sharing of media for a long time and now we're kind of decentralizing it back on you know this anywhere theme you know access it anywhere on a tablet so you know, I, I think it's this bifurcation too of codecs. You know, you have the ultimate ultra high end with uh, you know 4K, and then the ultra low end. I need to be able to view my 4K anywhere on you know a three inch screen or now six inch screen. But if, if if we go back then to to some comments that we were making earlier about the multitude of formats that the that the broadcast. So I think the issue being is in in, in the answer to that is there needs to be a, a really good asset management system that is able to um, manage all those different formats as they get 
pro pro proliferate around the uh, industry. I'm or should we be looking for more standardization yeah. to minimize all this well, if, if stuff that doesn't work with it, everything else? Well, if, if we can get all of the device manufacturers, yeah. Apple, Android, Google, etc., to do that, then that would be great. Mm. But it's, the, it's, it's being driven by the consumer yeah. uh, with their demand on these new devices um, to actually drive that. Mm -hmm. Editchair supports uh, 4K formats. We also have to support GoPro because yeah. you know mm. GoPro or is going on CNN. Much more stuff is yeah. going on television these yeah. days, and the standards have changed. And so professional workflows now have to bring in this very wide range of not only professional codecs but consumer codecs. Absolutely. So there's the challenge with with content everywhere, mm -hmm. where we were trying to turn around and say we want standardized formats is expanding out even more. Is it, is, it, is, it, is it a question of innovation or is it a question of getting the right heads together in the room? The problem I think with getting the right heads together in the room, you start designing by committee yeah. right. and, and, and you then don't get innovation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that, yeah. I think, is one yeah. of the problems that we have in, in that area. I, I think the big, the, one of the big issues with media asset management systems is that there's a large-scale deployment. You build it, and then it's difficult to change it. It's difficult to change the workflows. It's difficult. It's more difficult to add in new devices. So actually, you're almost setting in stone what you're going to do. And then when you find that these new devices come along, you can't go in and change them easily which is why you're seeing new um, technologies come in that, that is uh, based on integration platforms rather than basically databases yep. and standard uh, just coded technology. Yep. So what are the innovative technologies that we have today that are improving and making media asset management far more efficient? I think... And what, what's missing? Is there something that well, needs development? I, I don't know. I'll go back to my very first point about the change. I actually believe the technology for media asset, efficient media asset management systems is there today and has been there for a few years now and is, is, is right. I think the problem with this industry has it, is it's been focused too much on the technology and not enough on the business of managing that media and the change management that you need bringing those people in we did uh, a project with uh, with RTE in Ireland, and they were completely tape-based. But they really saw the benefit of changing their whole workflow environment to bring in a very comprehensive media asset management system. Mm -hmm. It's changed the whole of their work in life. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's where the industry needs to go, is more on the business than on the technology. I think there's also the tools upstream of where, where this content is actually created. I yes. mean, efficiency yeah. on production location. You know, how can you, you know, not have vast amounts of raw footage which aren't ever touched or looked at? I mean, how do you streamline that process? You know, with production notes or, 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 or you know, tools that are developed specifically to, to uh, add some rigor to productions that might be all over the place. But I, I think I think those tools are already there. You look at uh, GoPro and you look at uh, P2 cameras and that, it tracks, if you put all the metadata into it and you track it, mm. that helps the media asset management downstream. Mm. So actually putting in it upstream is... is, is you've is got to have that integration. Uh, absolutely, so, yes. so I actually think one of the, the big innovations in the industry at the moment is FIMS. So we're actually starting to see some standard interfaces coming through so that you have multiple vendors working with the same interface. Absolutely. 
So, because we, we, as an industry, we can't afford to keep developing new interfaces every time. You know, we need to start using some standardization in that respect. We're not a big enough industry to, to, to the amount of development that goes on. Absolutely not. Yeah. Mm. Let's talk about people, clients, end users who want to have a, a media asset management system. You've got at the top end studios and broadcasters that have got hours and hours and decades of content, and yet you've got the smaller, those companies that are putting, posting uh, videos on YouTube or whatever. Mm. Give me some idea, what should those clients be thinking about if they're looking for a new asset management system? I think, I think it's a very interesting question, and I think the question is, um, are they looking and do they realize they need one? And I think that's the, that's right. the, that's the really big issue. Um, the social media generation, the ability, the quick access to content um, is, is, is really, you know, brands and businesses need to be producing a lot and, and they don't have the internal infrastructure, many of them, some of the, some of the surprisingly big ones, to, to administer the, 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 the sort of prosumer, single man shooter type work that is, that is expected to come in for a, for a, for a trade show or, or, or some sort of event like that. So, you know, I think an education thing is, is very, very necessary there. Yeah, and I, I would say stop thinking about media asset management because that's a technology yeah, and it will drive you down the technology route business process, what does your business want to do, what are the business processes, what does that drive in terms of workflow, and then look at the integrations and the technology to support that. Absolutely, mm. find the application, yeah. don't find the technology. Yeah. Once and, you yeah. found the and actually get your, your operators in that process early enough, yeah. because they, they're, they're the ones that really understand how you run the business. Because actually, you know, we've all got these workflow written down, but actually they never get implemented that way. They never really get work that way. Well, I also think that um, because, again, it's a people process when, with all these workflows. We did a, a consultancy exercise with, uh, with one of our clients where we were designing their workflows, worked with them to design their workflows. We decided we'd go and walk the workflow the first day. Mm -hmm picked up the first tape which they wanted to ingest it had a yellow post-it note with things written on it so he said where did that come from and they said oh yes we forgot that's the that's the bit of metadata we use to track it there so it, it's finding that information out um, to track it through those processes and if you don't get the, the people involved early enough, what, what we've found is we've implemented systems where there's quite a lot of automation because that's what people think is going to save them money. But then as you start to run this, you find all of the places where you can't automate it and you end up backing out the automation back to some of the manual processes because it's the people that make the decisions on what they have to do with that material at that time. So what I'm hearing is that customers really almost looking at the technology first before they are thinking about the business. So I guess it's up to you guys to start pushing business applications for yeah. assets. Yeah. I think yeah, I often have yeah. to uh, back the conversation back. They come thinking they know what they want. Yeah. yeah. And we have to say, well, what are you really trying to achieve here? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we'll will deploy the technology. But I think yeah. you're absolutely right that it's it's got to come with uh, what's the underlying. What's the problem? Uh, what's yeah. the problem? What are you trying so, to fix? And yeah. then we know all the details of our software and how it works, and yeah. we can recommend it, you know, and, and which tool. I think also uh, scalability and flexibility as well, because, you know, many of these projects, especially larger ones, have long lead times, and the requirements and the state of the industry may have changed by the time you deploy that system. Uh, so you want a system that, you know, uh, can 
bridge the gap to whatever the next thing is that's flexible enough. I think as well as well, businesses and brands, you know, they create, you know, create and produce content, and you know, three months later, they need to revisit that content, reversion it, transcreate it, relanguage it, and and again, access to that file, um, visibility on where it is, visibility on the various layers of the edit. Um, you know, it's a key thing, and, and I think again, businesses, big 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 ones, really do struggle with some of those processes. I mean, they kind of focus on let's do our big ad and let's not worry about all the, 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 yep. the, the, the sub layers, which, which are increasingly as important as that big ad. Okay. Um, the program makers and broadcasters and the like at the higher end missing the boat when it comes to social media as far as their assets. Are they missing some revenue streams and are there some revenue streams that are to be had? I think your second question there is actually the most pertinent one. Are there any revenue streams to be had from content on social media? I know our customers are, have been looking at it and some of the new uh, on-demand channels uh, and new VOD channels and OTT channels, there is little or no revenue generation from those channels. So how do they monetize that content that's going to go out onto it? So I think that our, the broadcasters, the production companies, etc., are in a challenging environment of how do they get revenue for that content that's going out there. Yeah. I, I have to reference um, an American guy called Gary Vaynerchuk here um, with, with, a, with a book called Jab, Jab, Right Hook. And, and it, it's his process is, is, is with social media, it's very iterative. You've got to touch the customer once or twice with social media before you try and sell something. And I think that's, um, you know, that's always been the case, perhaps. And, and you know, although it's less, less sort of visible in the, in the sort of real world environment, but you know, creating little bits of content, keep you know, regular updates, et cetera, et cetera, and then the sale will come later. And I, I think that's, you know, I, I think he's a very, very successful example of someone who's, you know, advising people how to create and use use content, but also doing it extremely well for his own social media purposes. And 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 that I think that's the the, the perspective on that. Yeah. Is it at the search, logging, ingest stage, or other stages where we do need the most improvement? Is there one particular area? I I would say. Uh, and I'll go back to it, and I suppose I'm for, for fear of repeating myself, I think, I think it's understanding the business processes across the entire chain. As Dave said, the integration of, of some of the technologies in, in the process. Um, so I, I'm not sure there is a single area uh, within, the, within the workflow that needs to be focused on more than anything else. I think it's the whole change management, people management, right across the process. Uh, it was said earlier, you know, all of this metadata is created and you then put it onto a file and you lose it. And then somebody has to then look at the file and go, okay, that was that date, this was the, you know, you actually have to, once you've created it, actually keep it. But we actually end up throwing away and recreating data about the files every time, every time they move the process. Mm -hmm. One of the areas that we looked at with another customer is prior to putting a media asset management system in, they entered the title of an acquired program into 34 separate systems throughout the content chain. So it's that sort of thing, it's that business process that gets uh, enhanced as you move it through the chain. And it probably makes more sense to fix that 
yes. in terms of a business benefit than actually putting any more complicated processes in. Yeah. So, it, so it is a case of really focusing on where you need to put the metadata, where you need to put the fix. And again, we tend to go, right, well, we need, we need these wonderful cataloging tools, we need these wonderful viewing tools. That's probably not where the main fix is required. Mm -hmm. Okay. Any comments there? Uh, yeah, well, I agree. Um, uh, okay, let's talk. Let's yeah. talk about te technology um, in delivery. You've got your asset management. The metadata enables you to find out where everything is. What ways should we be delivering that content to the various? clients of that particular company? Should we be using satellite? Should we be using the internet? How should we be delivering that when we're, when we're dealing in a global work, you know, marketplace? I think that really depends on, on what you're trying to deliver and, and essentially who you're trying to deliver it to. If you're trying to deliver it to a, uh, a multitude of people, then you've got, you know, satellite technology, sends it up to the bird, down to thousands, millions of people, if that's what you're trying to achieve. But the internet now, with, with multicasting and all those sort of technologies, allows the same sort of thing to be happening over the internet. Internet has got a finite bandwidth and therefore can, can restrict it. But I think there's a, it, you have to look at what you're trying to achieve, and, and it's back to the, the business process. What are you trying to achieve? Rather than looking at the technology, look at what the business is that you're trying to get to. Is there one system which is going to be better for our environment than the other? <laughs> and are there technologies which are favouring um, the environment versus then uh, destroying the environment? I mean, we, Dave, you and I have talked about optical discs, for example. Yeah, I, th I think the, the advantage of optical disc is it doesn't need air conditioning, it doesn't need humidity control, and that's a fairly big, expensive process. If you look at all of the archives around the world, the amount of them that are actually uh, temperature controlled, humidity yeah. controlled, that's yeah. a lot of power. Um, I actually tend to view um, data centers and cloud as being a major benefit. I know they've got a lot of bad press at the moment, but actually if you try and imagine a lot of customers setting up their own areas and then setting up their own uh, N plus one resilience on that, there's a lot more computing power, a lot more wastage on that if you actually centralize it than if you centralize it. But what I would say to that, and, and, and I haven't got the answer, but what I would say to that is, um, okay, you're centralizing that content into the cloud, but the users are remote, and therefore yep. you need more routers, more network infrastructure, so you've got more power going into that. Yep. So, so I haven't done the figures, and, and, and I've no idea what the figures are, but I think, I think what we've got to do as, a, as an industry, as a world, if you like, is work out the best um, way to manage that power consumption. Yeah. yeah. I think we have to push the larger vendors, hard drive manufacturers, uh, you know, chassis, fan manufacturers, whoever it is, we need to you know, do a, a census of the power load that we're creating and push the big manufacturers into a sustainable direction. Because it's hard for smaller companies uh, to influence that. You know, we're not going to invent our own hard drive, right? As much as yep. we'd like to. We've experimented with green drives in the past, but you have to balance performance, reliability, and 
power, of course. And, and if there's a technology out there that's reliable, we'd be you know, the first that would decrease power consumption. We'd be the first in line for it. But I, I think it has to happen on a, on a big scale. And we also, we also have to understand the usage of the material because you know there are different hierarchy, hierarchical storage requirements but nobody likes to lose it from the online disk. You know, you, you have to kind of automate it based on some knowledge of when that material is going to get used. Mm. And frankly, if you put it on the shelf and you need it, you have to go and get it off the shelf. But you just can't afford to keep all of this stuff offline because nobody deletes anything anymore. Uh, and, and I think the other thing is we talk about, you know, the performance, etc. As the technology and performance goes up, so the heat heat ramps up so you need more cooling power more fans so i think it's the consumers and the consumption and the internet is driving power um a significant lot of power out there in the marketplace i don't have the answer as i say but i think as a as an industry we really have to uh, manage that right. it's funny how we've come full circle from taking your videotape out putting it on the shelf now we're taking our LTO tapes out, optical discs out, <laughs> yeah. and putting them on the shelf. Absolutely. But there certainly is a model for it. It's yes. maybe well, not ideal. Everyone does want everything online all the time, but maybe you can't have it. It's just, well, not, it's just not practical. Mm. You know, I, you know yeah. I, I run a disk space on my home computer, so everything's on optical disc. Right, okay, I need to pull it back from Blu-ray. I mean, Don't find it. Uh, excited about these scalable tape libraries we have that yeah. let small companies start with an 80 slot unit and then expand it up to 540 slots. Well, yeah. for many organizations, uh, that's a fair bit of storage. You know, that's a couple yeah. of petabytes of storage. Yeah. That it's still accessible enough that you're not grabbing it on a shelf. It is in the yeah. library. The robot's grabbing it. And oh, that's 60,000 hours at 50 megabits. You know, that's yeah. a lot of content. Well, mm -hmm. I, I, we talk about that. You look at what happened uh, in the late eight, uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Everybody turned around and said, "Tape's dead. We'll never need physical asset management, library management again." Yep. We're now in the process of data tape. Absolutely, yeah. major yeah. libraries. So, so that uh, that power consumption in those libraries is is the same as what it was in the in the videotape libraries. Dave brought up yep. an interesting point. We don't throw anything out. Now, if you think in the old days, we used to have our photographs and perhaps every once in a while we'd go through the album, there's a picture of a flower. Where was that? Throw it out. Should we start looking at our assets rather than keeping everything? Um, I was talking to some people at Hewlett-Packard recently. They're now actually going to be training their staff. You don't have to keep everything on your computer. You can actually throw stuff away that you will never ever use again. Obviously news items and some really valued content, you're never going to consider that. But is there content that customers that have large libraries of content should start thinking about, hang on guys, we can reduce our storage because reducing cost and that's reducing environmental impact. I think that the, the cloud marketing campaign has meant that people think it's a bottomless pit. Yes, yeah. exactly. It and it has zero cost because yeah. There is seemingly such small, Infinite. incremental, yeah. minuscule, incremental cost to saving that additional JPEG. How do you measure that? But in the aggregate, we're creating something that's really takes quite a lot of power and resources. I think to, yeah, to sustain. There's, there's there's no such place as away. You know, throw it away. And I and I think I think that's the that's that's the issue. And I think in all walks of digital life, there's quite a you know impact. And in, you know, you're very inundated by things. I mean, we've all opened multiple browser windows, and by the end of your day, you're exhausted with that sort of that sort of you know huge impact. And again, again, that's just me, one little man in London. And 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 uh, and. I, you know, obviously at scale, yeah. that's a big issue. There's no such place as a way. <laughs> and, and I think 
that's where a content management system, I'm trying not to use the word media asset management, because I don't <laughs> like it either, Dave, but I can, <laughs> I, I can tell you I hate that It's that been a long-running conversation, well. I think, this one. Long-running long banter. But it's, uh, it's uh, it, different people use different terms for it. But anyway, it, it's about when you've got a, a system that is uh, managing your media, then uh, you can put the policies and processes in place that will allow you to throw things away mm -hmm. based on automated rules. It may be we haven't accessed this for 10 years uh, and the metadata has shown that. So yeah. are we ever going to access it? The downside of that is when you start looking at um, things like happened with the BBC in the 60s and, and that where they threw um, uh, content away that became very valuable. Steptoe and son. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, so how do you manage that value proposition, that value chain, if you like, in knowing what is going to be valuable today mm -hmm. or valuable in 10 years or 20 years or 30 years? And I think that's the problem. But you can't. Absolutely. And, and, and I think you have to accept you can't. Yeah. And it's quite interesting. I know archivists get a lot of bad press because they get viewed as the people who are collecting everything. But actually, they're the smartest people I know in terms of saying, actually, that looks like stuff we should keep. No, we're going to throw that away. And they do actively make throwaway decisions when they're putting stuff into the archive. Well, and as far as I can see, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's what a skill we've lost, except down in that, that final, you know, things get thrown to them. You know, thrown over the wall, right, this is something we need to archive. And they actively look at it and say, no, I don't think so. We don't need that. That's really important. We'll keep that and, and we'll catalogue it properly. We'll make sure it's findable. We'll make sure you can, you can save it and preserve it. Mm. And they're, they're the best people I know for actually making that decision. Because everybody else has a vested interest in the content they've yeah, created. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Whether I mean, it's... Whether it's yeah, if, I mean, if you've walked up the hill, you know, to film something, yeah. you're going to try and pick the shot because you remember how much work it was Absolutely. to crawl up the hill. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think I think that's a very interesting uh, interesting point in terms of like you know, say you do ten takes of something, but eight of them are probably never going to be used because yeah. mm -hmm. screwed up, or two of them potentially are. And, and I think that's a very valid point how you can fix it upstream. Yeah. And you say even you know, oh well, it's just a fifty dollar LTO tape, but then you do have to keep migrating it. Yeah. As well. So yeah, exactly. Nothing's free. Mm. Yeah. And it sits on a shelf and it's, you know, it's in a building somewhere in a high, you know, it's in London, it's in right. Madrid, yeah, it's in Tokyo, or exactly. Yeah. And, and I think that's where people's, if you like, personal lives move into their work life because people at home, they've got a computer, they save everything, they keep everything, and they transfer that into the work environment mm -hmm. as well. So they just keep saving things and, mm -hmm. and, and that. So I think it's a, that's one of the challenges. I think George had a point, just the digital world means that there's this bottomless pit or whatever of... Uh, well, that's what people cloud. think, that's what people that's think. That's what people yeah. think, yeah. but there actually yeah. isn't the bottomless yeah. pit. Don't forget, you can look at Broadcast Beat for all the latest on media asset management as well as other innovations in production, post-production and all studio environments. Sort of wrapping up. Have we moved on a lot since NAB? Is there anything really new at the show that can be your own company or other companies that you've seen relating to media well, asset I management? I think, I think certainly with um, Mavidium.com, okay. you know, this is a very innov innovative project. I mean, we are looking to create a, a network of 
um, cameramen, directors, producers, to create a, a social network for them um, to, and then offer them the project management tools to be able to run and streamline that production process. Now, whether that has an impact on the digital asset management or content you know, management process, yes, I think it does, because if you're streamlining the process upstream and, and things are more efficient, um, you know, th there's perhaps less data captured because of the efficiency. And, and before that comes to you know, perhaps your part of the process. And I think you know, that, 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 that certainly is a, a very innovative platform there. You know, in a pre-registration phase for for engaged filmmakers to, to register with. Okay, Jeff, what did you, what do you think that there is at the show and is, that's moved on since NAB? Uh, well, over the last couple NABs and IBCs, you see just everybody advertising themselves with an end-to-end -end workflow uh, and media asset management and tiered storage. You just can't look around another booth, at least in our hall, without. Uh, seeing that. Uh, EditShare has been doing that for a long time uh, and uh, you know there is variety out there in the industry um, and different systems are better or worse for different people so uh, there are a lot of systems out there but you really have to have an in-depth conversation with the vendor to figure out which one is going to be and right figure out you. what the business proposition is exactly. as we talked to about earlier. Business proposition, <laughs> and then we will lead you to the right answer. Right. Yeah. Dave, I, as far I, as Sony, have you got offering something new on media asset management this well, show? I, I think um, in terms of media asset management, it's the integration platform and you know optical discs has now moved on to the um, the library, so we've got libraries that will, that will hold 30,000 hours of storage and then you put the material on the shelf and the commitment to backward compatibility to make sure that you don't actually have to copy it every time. Right. Tony, something caught your eye? Um, I, think, I think one of the biggest things that, that we're seeing around the media asset management arena is, is that of um, metadata is king. Um, you you yeah. said about the upstream processes and, and capturing mm. the right metadata, and I think that is absolutely crucial to the uh, efficiencies in the workflow. So, Within our product, MediaFlex, we've implemented something called content intelligence, which basically means the business process management will look at the uh, metadata within the files themselves or within the database and make intelligent decisions, orchestrated and automated decisions, as to how it processes that, that, uh, that workflow. That has the benefits of uh, efficiency, removing human interaction in some places where appropriate, because it's not always appropriate to remove that human interaction, uh, and giving our customers and, and, and other people the basis for delivering more content uh, out to more platforms, because you've got to create eight formats. Mm. So I think metadata management and, and uh, content intelligence is, is a significant part for us. As far as other vendors are concerned in the show, I mean, 4K is, is huge in the show. Um, yeah. Yeah. Is it right? Um, are people going to go another, out there? That's another session. <laughs> <laughs> but it, yeah. it, 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 it's there. So, you know, we're talking about content management yeah. in a 4K environment, yeah. 8K environment. So I think that's where we are. On that note, I'd like to thank you, gentlemen. George Herzog from Edit Share, and once again, congratulations on the Broadcast Speed Award. Um, George from Movidium, Dave Headley from Sony, and Tony from TMD. I'm Janet West, and on behalf of Broadcast Beat, I'd like to thank you for watching and joining me for the last four days. 
these videos will be posted and uh, you'll be able to get the link on broadcast beat to see where it is i hope you've enjoyed watching us at ibc check out the magazine to keep up to date and we look forward to seeing you at the next show goodbye Thank you.